Good morning again, everyone. Hope you're doing well this morning. Um, thanks for being here today. Um, we uh, will get into the message shortly, but really quickly, um, I wanted to just talk a little bit about uh, Veterans Day. Veterans Day is, I believe, next Saturday, um, and it's a time for us to celebrate those who served in the military. Um, now, I, I personally like to distinguish between Veterans Day and Memorial Day. Like Some people like to group it all together, but I think they're separate for a reason. And um, Veterans Day is a day where we get to, um, we get to on purpose, um, celebrate those who served who are still with us. And so um, if you served really quickly, if you served in the military, uh, stand for me, if you would. It's awesome. Can we honor those? Uh, Mr. Bill is raising his hand. Um, thank you all. Thank you for, for your service. Thank you for fighting for our freedom. Um, we truly do um, appreciate your sacrifice that you made, and, and uh, we'll, we'll do this again uh, next Sunday. I want to honor, honor again, but um, yeah, I just, I didn't want that to go uh, left unsaid, so uh, yes, and really quickly, too, about the uh, holiday stroll. Um, the holiday stroll ha has been uh, really cool um, in like la like last year, it was really cool. We decided to do the, the hot cocoa bar, and we we planned for about 100 people, and it, we ended up serving, like, I think about 450 people. So uh, it, was really, it was really cool. Like, I think I made two different runs to the store to make sure we had enough to, like, to serve people, and so that was, that was really cool. But um, we would love for you to come out and, and help with that and be a part of that, and so that's going to be December 2nd. So, um, yeah. Make plans to be there. So um, so we have been in a series, The Parables of the Kingdom of God. And this is, today's the second to last message in the series. Next week we're going to be concluding the series. But um, today we are going to look at the parable of the net in Matthew 13. Um, but before I jump into that, I wanted to share uh, a little story with you. This is a true story. Uh, it's about yours truly. Uh, when I was 12 years old, um, my family moved to San Antonio, Texas. Uh, we, we were Air Force family. Um, we, we moved to San Antonio, and we lived on Randolph Air Force Base. Now, I was the new kid in school, um, but that, was, that wasn't a big deal because, like, there were a lot of new kids in school, like being in a military family, that kind of thing. And, again, it wasn't that big a deal because in a couple of weeks there was going to be a new batch of new kids, right? So um, it was fine, but um, along with, like, being the new kid is like not having any friends, right? So I didn't have any friends, and, and the people that you're naturally drawn to when you're the new kid are other new kids. So I was drawn to some of the new kids, and I connected with this guy. Um, his name was JD, and JD and I had one major thing in common. We loved sports. Loved sports, like all sports, and that was our topic of conversation all day, every day was about sports, and, and um, we became really fast friends, and we played on the football team together, we played on the basketball team together, we played video games together, and like we would stay the night at each other's houses, and I mean, there were some times where I'd spend an entire weekend at his family's house, I mean, I loved them, they loved me, like it was, it was cool. We did, we got to a point where we did everything together, 
But there's one thing that JD did that I had never heard of before. And, and when I found out what it was, I was like infatuated. JD had this amazing collection of basketball cards, basketball trading cards. And I had never seen that before, but like thousands upon thousands of basketball trading cards. And, and within those thousands upon thousands, he had hundreds that were actually worth some money. And, and not just like a few cents, I mean like $10 to like a couple hundred dollars each worth some money, right? So like I saw his collection and I was hooked. I was, I became obsessed and I started collecting basketball cards and, and being new to collecting basketball cards, I just got any card I could get my hand on. It didn't matter how good the player was or how much money the card was worth. Like if it, if it was a basketball card, I wanted it if it came across my path, right? So, um, any, any money I got from my birthdays, like I would go to the store and buy basketball uh, basketball card packs or boxes or whatever. And like, I was just obsessed with collecting these basketball cards. Well, as my collection grew and as I became a more seasoned collector, I noticed that I started being a little more choosy with the cards that I wanted to add to my collection. I started to uh, become a little bit of a basketball card snob, you know, like, oh, I don't, I don't want that card. That's a that's a worthless card, you know, that kind of thing. I, I got really choosy and picky be, uh, about what I let into my collection. Um, I, I, I only wanted valuable cards. I didn't want invaluable cards. I didn't want cards of players I'd never heard of. I only wanted valuable cards. And I started to, I guess, discriminate against the bad cards or the worthless cards, right? The cards I didn't like. Have you ever collected anything before? Whether it be trading cards or uh, some people collect coins or stamps or some people collect hats or, you know, whatever. Have you ever collected anything before? Yeah, some people are nodding your heads, you know, like that's, that's good. Collecting uh, anything involves seeking, locating, acquiring, uh, organizing, cataloging, displaying, sorting, storing, maintaining the items of, of interest, right? And usually people collect things that they're fascinated by or they collect things that mean something uh, like deeper to them, right? That's what people collect typically. Uh, now, there are, there are exceptions to every rule, or, you know, but uh, typically that's what people collect. And the longer somebody collects something, the more picky that person becomes about what they allow in their collection. Now, to tie this to what we're talking about today, what about God? What does God collect? What does his collection look like? How, how does he organize his collection? This is what I want to talk about today. This is what our portion of scripture addresses today. God's collection and the role that we have to play in it. So uh, before we dive into the scriptures, let's pray this morning. God, we love you. We thank you. All the praise and honor belongs to you, God. And we just ask that you open our hearts that we might hear your truth today and it might um, root itself deep inside of us and change us from the inside out. We love you, God. We submit to your will today. In the name of Jesus, amen. Amen. If you have a Bible today, you can open it up or turn it on to Matthew chapter 13. Matthew chapter 13, we're going to start in verse 47. We're going to read all the way through verse 50, four verses. So, um, it starts like this, again, the kingdom of heaven is like a fishing net that was thrown into the water and caught every kind of fish. He says, again, the kingdom of heaven. And 
Remember, like I said last week, the kingdom of heaven and the kingdom of God are synonymous. They're the same thing. He says the kingdom of heaven is like a fishing net. Now, Jesus introduces this new image. He, he's, he's used um, the imagery of seeds and a lamp and a dough and, and that kind of thing all the way up until this point to talk about the kingdom of God. But this last parable, he, he talks about the kingdom of God is like a net. It's like a fishing net. So um, he, he introduces this, this new idea. It's a fishing net that catches all kinds of fish. Um, but, but much like the, the other images that he used in his other parables, his audience would have understood this imagery really well. So um, this isn't anything that's a mystery to his audience. Like they, they understand what's going on. Uh, verse 48, the net was, when the net was full, they dragged it up to the shore, sat down, and sorted the good fish into crates, but threw the bad ones away. So this is a, a typical practice for any fisherman, right? Whatever you catch to, to sort the good fish, the, the fish that you want, the, the fish that are uh, worthwhile from the fish that uh, you, you don't need, they're not useful, like you can't eat them, that kind of thing. That's a typical, typical practice of any fisherman, right? And so, uh, uh, and fishing vessels in the world of the Bible, they're not big enough to do the sorting on the boat, so they had to drag the net to the shore to do the sorting there. So this, this picture so far is pretty accurate to, to the way uh, like Jesus's audience would have understood life, okay? So verse, verse 49, that is the way it will be at the end of the world. Whoa, now we're talking about something heavy, right? The end of the world. That is the way it will be at the end of the world. The angels will come and separate the wicked people from the righteous. First, it's interesting to me that he says the angels will come and separate. The angels are going to come and separate. The angels are going to leave the presence of God to come and separate the wicked from the righteous. Interesting. And notice Jesus talks about wicked and righteous. He doesn't say good and bad when talking about people. He, he, he talks about uh, the fisherman separates the good fish from the bad fish, but when he starts talking about how it's going to be at the end of the world, he uses righteous and wicked. And you might hear that and say, well, Pastor Ryan, what's the difference? There's a big difference. There's a big difference. Wickedness and righteousness are not the same as good and bad. Wickedness has to do with us turning our back on God. Righteousness has to do with faith in Jesus as the Son of God and faith alone from start to finish, right? That's the good news, right? Wickedness and righteousness is that, but... Good and bad is something else. There's only one person who's good. There's only one who, who, who can, who's going to be able to stand before God one day and, and God's going to say, yeah, you're good. It's Jesus. Jesus is the embodiment. He's the word, right? He's the word of God. He's the only one who can completely fulfill the law of God. Everyone else compared to that standard is bad. And so if, if um, the angels came and sorted between good and bad at the end, then we would all be in trouble. And Jesus would be the only one remaining, right? So like that's the distinction here. He doesn't use good and bad when talking about the end of the world. He, he uses wickedness, wicked and righteous. And the Apostle Paul even states this in, in his letter to the Romans, the, the good-bad thing, right? Romans chapter 3, verse 23, he says, For everyone has sinned, we all fall short of God's glorious standard, right? So it, when it comes to good and bad, there's only one that's good. It's Jesus. We're, we are all bad compared to him. It's not about being good and bad. It's about wickedness and righteousness. 
And Jesus says in the end, the angels are going to come and they're going to sort wicked from righteous. Verse 49, again, that is the way it will be at the end of the world. The angels will come and separate the wicked people from the righteous. Verse 50, throwing the wicked into the fiery furnace where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. He again uses this phrase um, that he's used um, before, weeping and gnashing of teeth. And this gnashing of teeth is this gritting of your teeth because of anguish and pain. Like that's, that's like the, po- the point he's trying to make. And, and it's, it's very tied to a person's like eternal condemnation. So he is talking, like this is end times, like last day judgment talk. That's... That's what he's talking about. And, that, and this, this parable uh, about fishing, it's analogous to that. It's analogous to the, the final judgment, the last day. It's, it's the, the fish that are caught in the net, brought to the shore and separated. And Jesus says on, on the last day, the angels are going to come and separate the wicked from the righteous. So this parable finishes off the parables of the kingdom. This, this parable finishes off the parables that Jesus uses to, to talk about the kingdom. And it's, it's a doozy. <laughs> it's, it's, there's a lot here. And I want to unpack this parable today. And as we do, like, it's, it's important to know that, um, that all of this parable's most important points, whether about judgment or about something else, like, um, we should be examining them by looking at the way they, they, they sum up the picture of the kingdom so far. So the, the first important point the parable makes that I want to look at today is this. The net represents the kingdom of God in the world. The net in this parable represents the kingdom of God in the world. Matthew 13, 47. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a fishing net. Many times I think when we, like, when we hear this in scripture, uh, like uh, any, any idea of fishing or nets or that kind of thing, we, have, we get a certain picture in our mind. Can you put that first picture up for me? This. I don't know if you can see that very well. That is called a throwing net. And this is probably what most of us think of when we think of nets and fishing in the Bible. And how you use a throwing net is you gather up the net in one hand, you, you take the anchor cord in the other hand, and you throw the net out into the water, and then you pull it back, and you do it all over again until you catch as many fish as you need. And um, this is a, a common, this is a common uh, practice amongst like small crews of fishermen, right? Like a single fisherman or like a boat of two or three, like that's how they fish is with this throwing net. And they throw it out over and over and they pull it back and they throw it. And that's how you, you, you use, um, or that's how you fish with a small, um, a small crew. But that's not the word. Jesus isn't talking about this kind of net. There's a, a separate word that he uses. When he says it's like a fishing net, there's a, a specific word that he uses. And that word is Sagene, I think that's how you say it, Sagene, and um, it means a large fishing net or uh, a drag net. Now, this word Sagene is used one time in Scripture. One time in the entire Bible is this word used in this parable. So Jesus is trying to paint a very specific picture. He says the kingdom of God is like a Sagene, it's like a drag net, and um, that doesn't really help us. Those, who, those of us who aren't like commercial fishermen, that we don't really understand what that means. So I want to show you a picture of what Jesus is talking about. That is a dragnet. It's humongous. A dragnet is enormous. So they make like dragnets of different sizes and like uh, uh, 
the way a dragnet works is um, you tie it, uh, one end to a boat or to two boats, and then you put weights on the other end. And so uh, the weights drag on the bottom, and it creates like this wall that drags through the water, and it catches everything. And um, smaller fishing crews would have like a, a dragnet of, I don't know, up to 100 feet in length. But uh, commercial, um, industrial size, like dragnets can be up to seven miles in length. They're enormous. So Jesus isn't talking about the little throwing nets that you, you, drag, you throw out and you drag back. He's talking about this humongous net that catches everything. And he says the kingdom of God is like that. The kingdom of God is like a dragnet. Well, what does that mean? A dragnet indiscriminately grabs everything that crosses its path. And Jesus is saying that's what the kingdom does. The kingdom of God goes through the world and it indiscriminately grabs everything. Everything that crosses its path, it grabs. Everything. Am I, am I making that clear enough? Everything. It grabs everything that crosses its path. And the church, the big C church, as the body of Christ, we represent the kingdom of God. And if we represent the kingdom of God, we should be indiscriminately gathering up everything that crosses our path too. Just like a dragnet does. We should be uh, indiscriminately gathering up everything. So this, this idea of like monoethnic church is not a kingdom idea. You might say, Pastor Ryan, what's a monoethnic church? You have your white churches, you have your black churches, you have your Asian churches, you have your Latino churches, you have your this church, you have your that church, you have your young church, you have your old. Like that's not kingdom. That's not a kingdom idea. The kingdom of God, like in, in Revelation 7, 9, right? Like John's picture of the throne of God, it says that people from every tribe, tongue, and nation. Like that's kingdom. The kingdom doesn't discriminate. The kingdom indiscriminately gathers up everything that crosses its path and the church should do the same. Like a dragnet. Um, just a little side note, I'm not gonna get too much into this, but I think this is an interesting thought. Dragnets don't only catch fish. Dragnets catch crab and lobster and shrimp and seaweed and they catch toilet seats and boots and driftwood and plastic bottles. Like everything that crosses its path, a dragnet catches. And just like a dragnet, the kingdom of God is gathering all of creation to bring it home to God. Because God is ultimately trying to restore everything he created to its original state. Just a little interesting side note that I learned while I was putting this, this together. Um, the parable says that it caught, the, the net caught every kind of fish. And this is a different claim than any claim that Jesus has made in any of the other parables that we've looked at so far. In all the other parables, Jesus has talked about um, like the seeds and, and, and the yeast and all that is, is representative of people who, who know and follow God. But this, Jesus is making a different claim now. The kingdom gathers everything. The kingdom gathers everyone and brings it back to God. This parable assures us that whatever's in the sea of the world, good, bad, or indifferent, it's all represented in the net. There's no rejection yet, just gathering. 
it's just gathering, it's just gathering. The sorting is coming, okay? That's coming, but right now, it's gathering. The day of judgment is clearly on the way, but not until the boat reaches the shore, not until the last day. So that's the, the first uh, impor- important point the parable makes, is that the net represents the kingdom of God in the world. The next important point that the parable makes that I want to look at today is this. The church isn't a sport fisherman. It's a weird point. I'll explain it. Don't worry. Uh, the end of Matthew thirteen forty seven says, it caught fish of every kind. What on earth does this mean? The church isn't a sport fisherman. I mean, nowhere in this parable do we see the fisherman pursuing a specific kind of fish. Nowhere. Nowhere in this parable do we see that the fisherman is, he's, he's hunting snapper. That, that's, what he's, that's what he's going after, but he, he ends up catching everything. Nope. Nowhere, nowhere in, like, sport fishermen use a specific kind of rod with a specific kind of bait in a specific area of the water to catch a specific kind of fish. We don't see that in this parable. We see fishermen with a dragnet catching everything. Catching everything. Remember, the kingdom indiscriminately gathers whatever crosses its path. And as representative of the kingdom, the church should also be gathering fish of every kind. I don't want to be a church that's only looking for bass. I don't want to be a church that's only looking for trout or only looking for a specific like, type of person. I want to be a church that gathers everything we can, everyone we can to bring it home to God. I want us to live up to our vision. Our vision here at Anchor Church is that we want, we want to see this church become a community of hope for all people, right? Hope for all. That's our vision. And it's not just a nice tagline that looks good on the website or like a banner or a sign. Like that is the heartbeat of God, that every living person would have hope in him. And we, that's, that's what we want to see happen. We, we want to be a place where anybody can come and find hope, where everybody can come and find hope. I want all ages and races, all socioeconomic, socioeconomic backgrounds to be able to come here and find Jesus. Come here and find the hope that they need, the hope that they're looking for. That's my dream. That one day in the near future that we'd be able to walk in here on a weekend and we'd be able to see the different demographics of Milford represented. Um, there's, there's a bunch of different um, demographic of people in Milford, but there are four, four prominent ones. White, black, Latino, Haitian, actually. I, it would be a dream come true for this pastor to be able to walk in and one day worship with Haitian brothers and sisters because we're indiscriminately gathering up everything. It would be a dream come true for this pastor to be able to walk in and worship with Latino brothers and sisters, to worship with more black brothers and sisters, to worship with more white brothers and sisters, to worship with Asian brothers and sisters, uh, Native American brothers and sisters, old brothers and sisters, young brothers. Like it would be a dream come true because that is kingdom. The kingdom indiscriminately gathers up. The kingdom isn't a sport fisherman. We're not, we're not going after one like one type of person and then excluding everybody else, we're in the business of gathering everything we can. And the church has a role to play here and now. Like while, while like, you know, we're the net dragging in the water, like the church has a role to play. But 
like some people, some people would hear that and they read the parable and they jump to the, they jump to the conclusion. Well, our role to play is to, to be the judge, right? We're supposed to be the ones that sort. That's not what the parable says. Our role is not to judge while we're here. Judgment doesn't happen until the end, right? Judgment does not happen until the net reaches the shore. The sorting doesn't happen until the net reaches the shore. And when the net reaches the shore, God will be the judge. It's not us. God is the judge. So our job, our role right now is to gather. That's it. Gather. Gather up everything we can, everyone we can to bring it home to God and let him judge in the end. That's our job. Jesus didn't shy away from sinners, and we shouldn't either. The kingdom of God is like a dragnet, and the church isn't a sport fisherman. So first important point the parable makes, the, the net represents the kingdom in the world. The second important point is the church isn't a sport fisherman. The last important point I want to talk about today, really quickly, the shore represents the final judgment. The shore represents judgment day. Matthew 13, 48, when the net was full, they dragged it up onto the shore, sat down, and sorted. I think it's important to note that while this parable is about the final judgment, it is about judgment day, it doesn't rush into the business of judging. In this parable, no one rushes into the business of judging. All, like Most of what's happening is the gathering. The gathering, the gathering. The net is just gathering and gathering until the boat reaches the shore. It's unclear when, when the gathering is going to end. But be assured, the end is coming and there will be a sorting in the end. There is a final judgment and there's nothing anyone can do to get around it. There's nothing anyone can do to escape it. We will all be brought to shore one day and we will all be sorted, wicked, from righteous. The day of judgment is a, a future reality for all men, all women, all children. And it's talked about all throughout the New Testament. Hebrews 9.27 says, it, it is appointed for me to die once, but after this, the judgment. There it is, the judgment. Acts 17.31, he has appointed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by the man whom he has ordained. There it is again, judgment on a specific last day. 2 Corinthians 5.10, for we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each of us may receive what is due us for the things done while in the body. There are many portions of scripture that talk about final judgment, that talk about judgment day, talk the, the day of the Lord. If you ever read that in scripture, it's talking about judgment, the day of the Lord. Like, we, we think of that as like this awesome day. It's not going to be awesome for a lot of people. <laughs> the day of the Lord is about judgment. And it's a certainty. And the kingdom is gathering up all of creation to bring it to that day. And I want to say this too. The final judgment is going to be entirely and completely fair. The, the final judgment is going to be entirely and completely fair. Each person, whether, um, whether destined for eternal glory or eternal condemnation, is going to be judged more fairly than they ever have in, before that point. 
God is the good judge. God is completely unbiased, and he judges impartially. He has no favors. He shows no partiality. Again, let me reiterate, God is the judge, not us. God makes sure the sorting is done out, right? He sends his angels to do the sorting. He doesn't use us to sort. He uses us to gather. That's our only job is to gather, gather up everything we can. Why? Why aren't we the judges? Because we're not fair judges. We're not fair judges. We remember even when we say we forgive and forget. We remember. Oh, forgive and forget. Ah, that's bull. That's bull. We remember. We, we're biased even, even when we say justice is blind. We're still biased. God is not. God is, he is impartial. He is unbiased. He is completely fair. That is why he's the judge, and that's why we're not the judge. That's why we need to stay as far away from the judging outsider's business as possible, and we just need to gather. We just need to gather up as many as we can and bring them back to God. And then the parable says that he sorts between, so earlier in the parable it says he sorts between the good fish and the bad fish. It's interesting, Jesus, Jesus uses this word good fish and bad fish, but um, it's, it's different, the these meanings are different from our understanding of good and bad. So um, the, the original language that the Bible was written in is more complex than English. So they had different words and that kind of thing. And so um, the word that Jesus uses for good in this parable implies admirable, beneficent, um, helping people, generous, giving freely, worthwhile, useful, Right? This is what this word implies, worthwhile, useful. And on the other hand, the, the word bad that Jesus uses implies rotten, putrid, corrupt, worthless, useless. So it appears that the manner by which we're going to be judged is whether or not we're worthwhile to the kingdom. Are we worthwhile to the kingdom or are we worthless to the kingdom? Are we useful to the kingdom or are we useless to the kingdom? Let me say it another way. Are we revealing the kingdom to people who don't see it yet? Or are we keeping the kingdom hidden? That is a question that only you can answer between you and God. But that is the correct question to be asking. Are we revealing the kingdom to those who don't see it yet? And I'm not talking about we as like anchor church. I mean like you individually in your life, in your circle of influence, are you revealing the kingdom to those who don't see it yet or are you keep, keeping the kingdom hidden? That is the criteria from what I understand by which we will be judged in the end. It's not about morality. It's about usefulness. It's about faithfulness to the kingdom. Worship team can come back to the platform. That's a heavy message, if I do say so myself. Um, but I think it's an important one to meditate on. Because we need, we need to be able to answer that question for ourselves definitively. And again, no one else can answer that for you. I can't answer that for you. That's between you and God. 
Are we revealing the kingdom to those who don't see it yet, or are we keeping the kingdom hidden? Matthew chapter 12, verse 33, uh, these are the words of Jesus. He says, a tree is identified by its fruit. This is a, a, an analogy. And the tree he's talking about is the people of the kingdom. The tree he's talking about is believers, is you and me. A tree is identified by its fruit. If a tree is good, if it's beneficent, if it's worthwhile, if it's useful, its fruit will be good. If a tree is good, its fruit will be good. But if a tree is bad, its fruit will be bad. If a, true, if a tree is rotten, if it's putrid, if it's corrupt, if it's useless, its fruit will be useless. Are we revealing the kingdom to those who don't see it yet? Or are we keeping it hidden? What if our only task was to reveal the kingdom of God? What if, what if that was real? What if that was true? How would that change your walk with the Lord? How would that change your life if you knew that your only task isn't to play morality police, isn't to try to bring people up to your standard, it's simply to reveal the kingdom and to gather as many as you can to bring them back to God? What if you didn't need to focus on some nebulous Christian checklist you didn't need to focus on like trying to be perfect. All you had to do was just gather. What if? How would that change things for you? What if we actually lived the heartbeat of God and indiscriminately gathered everything that crossed our path? Oh, you don't go to church? I got a great place where you would fit right in. But, but you don't know me. It doesn't matter. Everyone's welcome at our church. What if? How would things be different? What if we didn't let the church get into the business of sport fishing? Going to keep the, the, uh, the analogy going, the imagery growing. What if we, what if we became that industrial-sized dragnet that grabbed everything to bring it back to God? No matter what they look like, no matter what their politics are, God loves Democrats. God loves Republicans. God loves Libertarians and, and Independent, and He loves Communists. I think a lot, a lot of Christ followers, like not just not necessarily here, but just in our country, need to hear that. It doesn't matter what your politics are. God's gathering everything. God's gathering everyone. And that's our job, is to gather and bring them back to him. No matter where they came from, no matter how much money they make, it's our job to gather. What if the church stopped, again, stopped playing the morality police and we trusted that God, being the good judge, he's going to take care of the sorting in the end. It's, that's his to worry about. How would your walk with him be different? How would your expression of faith be different if you really believed that. Are we revealing the kingdom to those who don't see it yet, or are we keeping it hidden? Let me pray for you this morning. God, thank you. Thank you for your word. This is a challenging, challenging message today, God, and I pray that by your Holy Spirit, you would you would root this in my heart, God, that you would, you would teach me 
Teach me how to live this out. Teach me how to indiscriminately gather everything that crosses my path, everyone that crosses my path. God, I don't want to pick and choose who, who I decide gets an opportunity to experience you. I just want to extend the invitation to anyone that crosses my path. Holy Spirit, help me do that more and more. Help us, Holy Spirit, to become that dragnet that indiscriminately gathers to bring people home to you. We love you, God. We thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. What I want to do right now is I just want to take a few moments before we dismiss. I want to take a few moments, and I want to let the Holy Spirit speak to our hearts today. Um, the worship team is going to play, um, and I want to encourage you to respond in some way today. Respond to the message, pray, worship, um, meditate, allow the Spirit to speak, to whatever you need to do. But, but don't just blow through this moment. Don't just move past this moment. Let's allow God to continue to do a work in our hearts. So stand with me if you would. Um, Worship team's going to lead us this morning, and then um, in a few moments we can be dismissed. But worship team, lead us, please. God, thank you. Thank you. We want to build our life on your love, on your kingdom. Teach us how, Father. Really quick, I want to challenge you with, with some next steps this week. These next revealing the kingdom doesn't have to be like you standing on a street corner preaching, right? That's not what revealing the kingdom is. Revealing the kingdom, we'll talk about it more next week. That's that's how I'm going to end this series. But reveal, revealing the kingdom is very simple. It's very simple, but it requires us to take action. So easy next step. I'll sign up to make a turkey or help deliver Thanksgiving meals. So um, let me pray one last time and we can be dismissed this morning. God, we love you. We thank you. All the praise and honor and glory belongs to you, Father. And we just, we, we pray, God, that you would help us become that dragnet that gathers everything to bring it home to you. Thank you, God. And finally, grace, mercy, and peace be with you as you go from God the Father and from Christ Jesus the Son, in truth and love. Amen and amen. Thank you so much for worshiping with us, everybody. Have a great week. We will see you next Sunday.